Just a little intro. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was a 10-year-old boy. I went to my mom and dad. I was so troubled I wanted to go to heaven. and I, I surely didn't want to go to hell. And so I was so troubled I just had to go ask them. And, and my dad and mom clearly gave me a clear gospel message. And I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was 10 years old. After that, I got very, very confused. I, I was going to places that was using muddy terminology, unclear term, terminology, and I got confused myself, and I even thought that, you know, you had to have works to be saved into eternal life. I got to where I thought that I could lose my salvation. But I went from the time I was 10 to the time I was 30, uh, and I walked in the Northside Baptist Church when I was 30 years old, knowing something was wrong but couldn't put my thumb on it, and I met uh, a precious man of God, Dr. Ralph Yankee Arnold. And he was preaching on 1 John 5, 13, that you can know you have eternal life. Preaching on Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He broke those verses down and then he pulled out his wallet. I taught him most of that, how to do that. But anyway, <laughs> but he pulled out his wallet and, and a light bulb come on. And I, I was like, that's what my mom and dad told me when I was a 10-year-old boy. And that started me on an adventure because I had assurance that my salvation into eternal life was not dependent upon what I do, but it's dependent totally, wholly upon what Jesus did. And I got assurance, and I became a fisher of men, and I love to tell people how to go to heaven. Several years later, when I was 47 years old, um, Pastor Arnold, Dr. Arnold started a Bible college, and I, I sensed that the Lord was wanting me to know more of the Scriptures, and I know that everything He's ever done that I've seen Him do even though it's 100 miles an hour. He uh, does quality, quality, high quality. And so I decided to go to Bible college. I graduated in 2018. I went back to God's country, Georgia. <clears throat> <laughs> went back to God's country, Georgia. And I became the associate pastor at Northside, the very place that uh, Dr. Arnold had got me clear on the gospel. And, and now I'm a, another miracle of God's grace. I'm, a past, I'm the pastor at... Uh, Northside Baptist Church. I'm working with Freddie Cole. I'm the pastoral elder. He's an elder there. And I've had two giants of the faith, Dr. Ralph Yankee Arnold and Freddie Cole, among other men here at, Bible, at the Bible College here, pour into my life. And I, I give all the glory to the Lord. I don't give it to man, but you know what I'm saying. God uses men, great men of God, to pour into your life. And I'm here where I'm at because those men were obedient to the Lord through thick and thin. So I just wanted to give you that little introduction about me, but it's not about me. I want to put the spotlight right on Jesus tonight. Now, technology hates me. I've never done a, a PowerPoint as a traveling preacher. <laughs> so I'm still young in the faith. Uh, I came into the game really getting assurance of my salvation at 30 years old, but I'm going to try to work through this PowerPoint with you tonight. I titled this message, The Authentic Gospel. Now, let me give you a little explanation on that. I was given a little booklet not too long ago by somebody that I dearly love called The Authentic Gospel, but this little book is heresy. It is full of heresy. It teaches works for salvation. It jams discipleship service into salvation into eternal life, and you cannot do that. Because you will put mud, the mud of works, into the gospel. And so I decided, okay, if people like this on the internet and books and sermons are preaching heresy, 
jamming works into the gospel, which it ceases to become the gospel of grace if you put one work into the gospel of what man can do. So I decided to preach a clear message because we need more clear gospel preachers' voices out there. So maybe from this message we'll get one more clear gospel preacher out of this. The authentic gospel, what do I mean by that? I mean this. I mean the true blue, the real deal, the one and only gospel of Christ. That's what I mean by that. And I've got a little warning under that, under the title, beware. Please beware of a false gospel. You may be clear on the gospel today, but you might not be tomorrow. I've seen a lot of people that's been clear on the gospel in the past, but they are not clear today. Make sure you stay clear and God will use you. There is a firestorm of debate, of controversy, argument over this little phrase right here. What is the gospel? Now, this is shocking to me. It blows my mind that people have problems. There's such controversy over what is the gospel. <laughs> it just it shocks me because Scripture clearly, crystal clearly, defines, declares, describes what the gospel is. And God takes the gospel message very, very seriously. Because it has people's eternal destiny attached to it. And God loves people more than anything. He went to the cross because he says, but God commended his love. He put on full display his love toward us, you and me, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when you play around with the gospel, when you tamper with the gospel, when you alter the gospel in any way, shape, or form, that doesn't correlate, line up square, plumb, and true with the scriptures, then you're playing around with people's destiny, their eternal destiny. And eternity's a long time to be wrong. I want people to land on the right side of eternity, in heaven, on heaven's shore, with the Lord forevermore. I do. I was a poet and I didn't know it. <laughs> so what I want to give you tonight, in the time permitted, I want to give you tonight some identifying markers. And if you're a note taker, I, I beg you, I beseech you, be a note taker. Because these are good, this is good stuff. Everybody needs, everybody needs to know these identifying markers of what the gospel is. Because, because if you know these identifying markers, if you know what the gospel is, then you can quickly identify what the gospel is not. Okay, let's look at some. First of all, the contents of the gospel. The contents of the gospel. What do I mean by that? I mean what makes up the gospel. What constitutes the gospel. It's very important that we know the contents of the gospel. I've got some verses up here. We'll get to those in a minute. But I want you to turn to your Bible. Turn to, your, to, to, turn to the pages of your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now Paul has just got through speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about let all things, he closed that chapter with, let all things be done decently in order. 
and in order. So that uh, there's no confusion. In verse 33, he said, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So if God wants all things to be done decently in order, don't you think the gospel should be given decently in order so that there is no confusion about what it takes to, to have eternal life? Why is it when I go as a fisher of men, why is it the vast majority of people I talk to don't have a clue of the one thing, the one thing, the one thing it takes to be saved into eternal life? It takes one thing, but most people don't think it takes one thing because they're told it takes a, a plethora of hoops they've got to jump through in order to be saved into eternal life. Why is it? Because we're not clear. There's not enough clear voices. So we ought to give the gospel decently and in order so that there's no left, leave no confusion, no fog in someone's mind of what it takes to be saved into eternal life. Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, are they saved or lost? Saved. Because we know they're saved. These Corinthian believers are saved because he used the word brethren, right? Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel. Not a gospel, as if there's another gospel. It's the gospel. Talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received. So Paul preached the gospel unto these Corinthians, and they received the gospel. How do we know they received the gospel? Because they believed in the Savior of that gospel. And wherein ye stand... So I stand in the gospel because I've trusted Christ as my Savior. By which, by which, the gospel, also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you. Is it important to keep in memory what the gospel is? Because if you don't keep in memory what the gospel is, you'll get led astray by a muddy, false gospel. Keep in memory. What the gospel is. Never get tired when some, a, a gospel preacher gets up, a traveling evangelist gets up and gives the gospel. Don't say, oh no, the gospel again. Oh, it gets, it gets sweeter to me the more I hear it. And I can't find enough people to tell it to. I, I just want to tell one more. Lead somebody to Christ. Want to lead one more. What's that, what's that movie that, he, that guy was in that army movie? I can't think of it now. And he, he was a medic in that movie. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge, Hacksaw Ridge. He said, just give me one more. Just give me one. He'd, he'd rescue somebody, and then he'd go right back into the fire, right back on the battle line and, and rescue somebody else. He said, just give me one more. Are you like that? Are you hungry like that? You want to lead just one more to the Lord. And then when you lead that into Christ, lead one more to the Lord. I hope we have that kind of passion. He said, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory, retain." Don't forget the gospel that was preached unto you that you received, who you put your faith in. Unless, unless, unless you have believed in vain. What in the world does that mean? Well, we, we know that's not talking about that they're not saved because he already called them brethren. Okay? So we know he, they're not, he's, he's, he's not saying that they're not saved, that they haven't been saved. We know he's not saying that. And we know he's not saying that they've lost their, they can lose their salvation, right? Because the Bible can't ever say in one place that you can't lose it and then in another place say you can. 
If it ever says in one place you can't lose it, it'll never come back, ever. Never, ever come back in another place and say that you can. So you need to take whatever verses you think it may be saying that you can lose your salvation, go back to a clear verse and say, well, that can't be talking about that. So it must be talking about service. It must be talking about what a believer should be doing, not loss of salvation. So it's not talking about, he's not questioning whether they're saved. And he's not questioning, are they going to lose their salvation? So what is he talking about? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Verse 3, here's the contents of the gospel. Here is the con- here's what constitutes the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. He said, for I delivered unto you first of all. What's the first thing you should give a person? The gospel. I never assume that someone is saved. I always assume they're not saved. I always want to make sure that they know what it takes to be saved into eternal life. So the first thing I'm going to give a person is I'm going to give them the gospel. Because the greatest need of a lost man is to hear the gospel message. Either hear it through his ears or read it. That's why we give out gospel tracts. There's only two ways. Because the gospel is given with words. They must hear it or read it. So Paul said, I, give it first. Deliver the gospel first. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Here's the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. There is the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. Y'all, it's not rocket science. There should be no ambiguity. There should be no controversy. There should be no debate. But you'd be surprised how much controversy there is. The books that are written, the messages that are preached over the Internet... You'd be surprised the false gospel messages that are preached. So there's the gospel. That's the contents. Now, what is he talking about when he says, unless you have believed in vain? Well, go skip, skip to verse 12. He says, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. So is the resurrection the contents of the gospel? Yes, it is. Y'all, where I come from, it's uh-huh or uh-uh. Okay, yeah, all right. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, that's the resurrection, at least in Georgia, where I come from. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So here's what you got. You've got some of these Corinthians that are questioning, that are questioning the contents of the gospel. They're questioning, they're saying the resurrection is questionable contents of the gospel. You agree or disagree? I staunchly disagree. The resurrection is the contents of the gospel. Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again. Now watch how Paul puts the hammer down on this to emphasize if there be no resurrection of the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, look what consequential consequences there will be. Look what he says. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, verse 13, then... Is Christ not risen? Look, if Christ isn't risen, if he didn't rise from the dead, we don't have anything different than any other religion out there. We have nothing any different if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He's a dead God, and a dead God cannot save. But my God is not dead. He's alive. He is risen indeed. Then he says in verse 14, And if Christ, that was consequence number one in verse 13. Here's consequence number two. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching 
vain, then what in the world am I up here preaching for? Why would I ever preach to lost people that, that you can be saved into eternal life if Jesus Christ didn't die from the dead? It didn't rise from the dead. Why would I preach? Then is our preaching vain, empty. It's emptiness of emptiness. It's a, it's a soap bubble. It's nothing. Here one second, gone the next. And your faith, your faith is also vain. What did you put your faith in? What did you put your trust in? A dead God? Yeah, that's consequence number three. Your faith is also vain. Consequence number four. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then I'm up here being a liar. I'm a false witness. I'm telling people lies. Because we have testified. In other words, we gave witness with our mouth that he raised up Christ. Whom he raised not up, if so be, that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Here's consequence number five. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. We don't have any proof. We don't have a receipt of payment that our sin got paid. The resurrection is the proof, is the receipt. Like you go in a grocery store, you buy groceries. Y'all, I lost my receipt one time, and I thought that the, chick, the lady at the door guarding the door wasn't going to let me out. Because I, I said, ma'am, I promise, I don't know what I did with it, but I bought these groceries. She finally let me out. It was the proof of payment. Without Jesus rising from the dead, we have no proof that our sin got paid. But because he's alive and risen forevermore, he's in heaven today, ready to save to the uttermost anyone, whosoever, that will believe in him. Then it says in verse 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. You know what that means? My mom, Trent's granny, went to be with the Lord in 2018. She trusted Christ as her Savior. But if there be no res resurrection of the dead, then they which are asleep, those who have died in Christ, are perished. I have no hope of ever seeing her again if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Even if there is no resurrection of the dead. But I'm going to see my mama. It wasn't goodbye. It says, I'll see you later. I'm going to see my dad too. Because he trusted Christ. Here's consequence number seven. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If all I have to look for is this life, I don't want it. I'm looking for the next life to come. I'm looking to step out of time into eternity. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for, for the uppertaker. I'm looking for the rapture of the church. Not the rupture of the church. Not the seven-year tribulation that people say we're going through. I'm looking for the rapture. And I think it can happen any, any moment. I think I'm in that generation that's going to go. I, I pray the Lord I am. I'm still not, I'm not, I'm not uh, <coughs> ancient as a Yankee. Okay, I need to move on. But you see, they, they were questioning the contents of the gospel then, and people still are questioning the contents of the gospel. Why don't we stand for the contents of the gospel? Have a clear voice. Next thing, here's the second identifying marker, the character of the gospel. The character of the gospel is a person. Salvation into eternal life is through a person. 
It's not through what we do. It's through what a person did for us. It's the person of Jesus Christ. I got on the screen right here, John 14, 6. I want to turn there. You can too. I just, I just don't, I want to put this all together. It's just too good. If you want to turn there, John 14, 6. I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, watch these power words he used. And whither I go, ye know. And the way ye know. Can you know? Can you, know? Can you be knowing where you're going? Yeah, you can know you're going to heaven. I know I have eternal life. I know I'm going to heaven. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. You notice it didn't say, I am a way. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, it don't matter how, you can get to heaven any old way you want. It don't matter. They, they relate it to like climbing up a mountain. Up, you can go up a mountain four different, four, it's got four different sides. You can go up four different ways and you all reach the top of the mountain. Okay. All right, Bubba. That's okay. But heaven's not a mountain. Heaven's not a mountain. There's only one way you get there. There's not two, three, four, five, or six ways that I just sung to the little Awana kids out there just a while ago. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. He's not a way. He is the way. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here's a verse in Acts 4.12. It says, neither is there salvation in any other. I'm talking about in any other person. Nobody else. Only one. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Dr. Arnold mentioned this verse this morning. John 6, 47, it says, Verily, verily, and the one who spread his arms on a cross and, and his body was broken, his blood was shed, this, it, th he ought to know more about what it takes to go to heaven than anybody else because he's the Savior. He's the one who offers salvation. So look what he says. Verily, verily, truthfully, truthfully. He wouldn't, he wouldn't lie to you about this. It's too important. I say unto you, he that believeth on me, on me, Jesus Christ hath everlasting life. So we have the contents of the gospel. We have the character of the gospel. Now what about the core of the gospel? What is the heartbeat of the gospel? What makes the gospel different than any other message in the world? It's a message of grace. It's a message of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Turn with me to the page of your Bible, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I'm not the only one that's shocked. Paul said he was shocked in Scripture. Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse, verse 6. Paul said, I marvel. That means I'm shocked. I am literally stunned. I am shocked that ye are so soon. Now, he's talking to these Galatian believers. They've trusted Christ. They heard the clear gospel of grace. But now they've so quickly been, they've transferred their trust to another gospel, to another message. How could you do that? But people do. 
I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the what? The grace. The grace. No, you ought to circle that word into. Into, into the grace of Christ. Then he says, unto, unto another gospel. God called me into the grace of Christ. He didn't call me unto another gospel. He called me into the grace of Christ. But these believers have been removed to another gospel. He said, which is not another. That word another means heteros. It means one of a different kind. It's a different kind. Y'all, there's only one gospel. But y'all, there are different kinds out there. And you better have your mind tuned in to these identifying markers, or you could be led astray to these another gospels, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. You take that piano and you turn it upside down, try to play on it. I was just talking to this young lady about playing the piano. I love playing the piano. I love singing because Jesus is my song. And until I have my last breath in me, I'm going to keep singing and I'm going to keep preaching. You turn that piano upside down, though, you're not going to be able to play that piano there. You've just perverted that piano. You corrupted it. And people are doing that to the gospel. They're turning it on its flipping and it's on its head. Making it another gospel. Don't do that. Acts 15, 11, up here it says, Peter, when he was speaking... Uh, a lot of times Peter put his foot in his mouth, but he said something really good right here. He stood up loud and proud, bold, and he said this, when there was much dissension and no small disputation about what it takes to be saved into eternal life and what it takes to be kept saved into eternal life in Acts 15, he said, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be saved even as they. I've been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've been saved, it's because you've been saved by the grace of Christ. Ephesians 2.8.9. Nobody knows that here, do they? Never heard of it, have you? Ephesians 2.8.9, it says, For by grace are you saved. God only has one way He saves. He doesn't have another way He saves. It's only by grace, always grace, nothing but grace. It's grace that saves you. Here's what it means. It means favor. Favor. Have you ever had somebody do you a favor and you know you didn't deserve it, but they did it for you anyway? That's what God did for me. I deserved hell because of my sin. And my sin owed a death price tag. And for me to pay that price tag, I'd have to go to hell to do it. But God showed me favor. Grace. So now I can go somewhere where I don't deserve to go. I'm going to heaven. God has, is keeping me by His mercy from what I do deserve, hell, and giving me something that I don't deserve by His grace, favor. I love God's grace, His favor. For by grace are you saved. That's the only way God saves. He doesn't have another way to save. It's only by grace. Through faith. How do you get God's grace that saves you? Through faith. Through believing. Faith is a a noun, believe is a verb. Same word. The only way you can get God's grace that will save you is by something that anybody in the world can do. Anybody worldwide can do this if they will choose to. 
If they will individually make this choice, if they'll believe in Christ through faith, it's implied here through faith in Christ, and that salvation is not of yourselves, it, salvation, is the gift of God. It's free. Y'all know, I didn't know that salvation was a gift until when I was 30 years old, Dr. Arnold explained that in his wallet hand gesture. I, I was like, it's a gift? All this time, I've been trying to pay for my sins by my works, and all this time, Jesus paid the whole price, and here I am trying to pay for it by going to church, being good, stopping my bad stuff, getting water baptized, keeping Ten Commandments, all the things that people say. It blew my mind. It was a gift the whole time. It was, it's free. That doesn't mean it's cheap. Jesus had to spill his blood down the cross, but we get it free. It's a gift. It's free. I didn't want to go down as the biggest fool in history, not trusting Christ as my Savior. Even as a 10-year-old boy, I knew I'm no fool. If there's a way to escape hell, I'm not going there. But people will go down in history as the biggest fools ever because they'll reject that free gift that was paid for, bought and full by Jesus Christ, by His blood, and they will, they will be a rebel. They won't trust Christ as their Savior. I hope you're not in that category. I hope you'll trust Christ as your Savior. Then it says it's not of works. Not of works means not of works. Lest any man should boast. So there's the core of the gospel. Next one. The call of the gospel. The call of the gospel. What is the call of the gospel? Y'all, it's not a plethora of calls. It's not many calls. It's not one thing after another. It's a, it breaks my heart, y'all. People are told they got to jump through this hoop and then this hoop and then this hoop and then this hoop and then this hoop. They got to do this and this and this and this and not that and that and that to be saved into eternal life. Y'all, people are back, or I call it front-loading the gospel. In other words, telling you got to do all these works and then trust Christ. Or they're saying you got to trust Christ and then do all these works to be saved into eternal life. Y'all, look, being saved into eternal life is not, is not by trusting something other than Jesus. It's by trusting Jesus. It's not by trusting Jesus plus something else. It's by trusting Jesus. The singular call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is singular. It's one. I wrote a song. If you want to hear it afterwards, I'll let you, I'll let you hear it. I, I got to sing it to the little wanna kids out there because I wish this song would go worldwide that every kid could hear it. I titled it, It Only Takes One Thing to Go to Heaven. Why don't people know that? We got churches on every corner. But people don't know the one thing it takes to go to heaven. It's believing in Christ. John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 15. It says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Watch how many times Jesus told Nicodemus the singular call. For what Nicodemus, who was a religious man, but was separated from God. Lost as a hound dog at the end of a soup bone. He didn't know how to go to heaven. He didn't know what it meant to be born again. So Jesus put it in the simplest of terms, and he used the word believe. Watch how many times he uses the word believe. You count them. He says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, sent, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God 
sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. He used the word believe five times. The Gospel of John, it said in John chapter 20, verse 30, it said, Many signs and wonders Jesus did in the presence of them all that are not written in this book. He said, but these are written. Talking about in the Gospel of John, in the book of John. He said, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through believing, you might have life in His name. Through His name. So the Gospel of John mentions the word, it, it declares the word believe almost a hundred times. Almost a hundred times. Somebody, I don't remember who wrote this, but a, a, a gentleman wrote a book. He says, whatever happened to the word believe? So if the, call, the singular call of the gospel is to believe in Christ, why aren't we uttering that to, to the law, the, this lost and dying world? We need to do that. So the call of the gospel of grace is to be, to be saved into eternal life is to believe in Jesus Christ. We looked at it with Nicodemus. The Philippian jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, go to church and read your Bible and stop all your bad stuff. They didn't give them, him a plethora of hoops to jump through. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. If thy, every individual of your house believes in Christ, every individual house be saved. Acts chapter 10, 39 through 44. Cornelius, when, when Peter, who didn't know really why he was going to talk to Gentiles, but God had opened the door for Gentiles to be saved, when he, uh, Peter was witnessing to Cornelius and all his house, because Cornelius invited all his family and friends and the house was packed, wouldn't you like that to happen at your house? A bunch of lost people come there and you get to lead them all to Christ. But he used the word believe. If you believe in him, you'll have remission of sin. And then the Samaritan woman. Just drink of this water. If you drink of the water in that well, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. It'll be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Having everlasting life is simple as drinking water. It's as simple as drinking water. He is the water of life. He is eternal life. Believe in Him, and you'll never thirst again for eternal life. Y'all, I will never, ever thirst again for eternal life. My thirst has been quenched. It's been fully satisfied because I put my faith in the one who gives eternal life, Jesus Christ. Next, here's another identifying marker of the gospel. The credence of the gospel. The credence of the gospel. What do I mean by that? The credence of the gospel. I mean the, its power to save Y'all, there is not another message in the whole wide world. Not another one. Not even a close second. There isn't a second. There's not another message in the world that has the power to save a lost man into eternal life other than the gospel. It's the only message that has the power to save a lost man into eternal life. And if it can save a, a sinner like me, Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners, so I was, I'm second behind him. But if it can save... Paul, and if it can save me, it can save anybody. It has that power. 
Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God. That word power in the Greek means is dunamis. Dunamis. It means dynamite. It means dynamite. The gospel is the only message that will explode into eternal life if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the dynamite. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that does what? Believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So that includes Jew and Gentile. It's good for everybody. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved... It is the dunamis. It's the dynamite. It's the explosion of God into everlasting life. That's the gospel. So, y'all, I know when I go give the gospel to people, I know I've got dynamite. But it's not in me. It's in the gospel. The gospel message has the power to save. You may feel so weak and shy and insufficient. And we are. But it's the gospel message. I know the power is not in me. It's in the gospel. It'll save anybody who will receive it by believing in that Savior of that gospel. Next, the clarity of the gospel. The clarity of the gospel. Clear words. Boy, do we need clear words today when given the gospel. 1 Corinthians 14, 7 through 9 says, And even things without life-giving sound, even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, Y'all know I can play the harmonica a little bit. But I guarantee you, if I played the harmonica right now, you would know it was a harmonica. You know why? Because a harmonica doesn't get, have life given life. It can't give life. A harmonica cannot give life. But I guarantee if I played it, you would know, hey, that's a clear harmonica note after clear harmonica note after clear harmonica note after clear harmonica note. You would know that's a harmonica. He says, even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? So if my harmonica sounds like an instrument that you've never heard of, how are you going to know what's piped or harped? It's the same way with the gospel. If we don't give clear words, how are they going to know how to be saved? We should give clear word after clear word after clear word when we give in the gospel. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Back in days of Jewish days of antiquity, one thing the trumpet was used for was to set the alarm for war, for battle. Well, if the trumpet sounds like something that's got a sock in the end of it, People will be like, I don't know what that sound is. And lives could be at stake because they didn't hear that clear trumpet sound that told them, hey, arm up. This is life or death. It's important that that trumpet gives a clear sound so that they can know to be ready for the battle or else lives can be lost forever. It's a matter of life and death. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise, ye. So means, that little bitty word, two-letter word, so. It means, in the same way. In the same way. 
In the same way, likewise, ye believer, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is, it is, what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Y'all, I was working when I worked as a security supervisor. Um, I, I was able to witness to a lady on an off-site property. She was cleaning a property. I told her when she got through, I would come lock the door, just call me. And so I went down there. She got through, and she was about to go to work. And so I, I said, uh, I, I just got in a gospel conversation with her. I explained the gospel to her. And you know what she said? She ended up trusting Christ. And she said, she said, John, John, if anybody, anybody had ever explained it to me using those clear words you just explained, where I could understand it like you, you gave it, I would have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior a long time ago. She's understood the importance of clarity. We must be clear. Life and death, eternal life or eternal death hangs in the balance. Keep it clear. Keep it clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, one in, verses 1 and 2 and verse 5, it's, Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. What's he talking about? The gospel? For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he goes on to say that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the dunamis, the power of God. In the gospel, not in the wisdom of men. So what does he mean by the wisdom of men? Well, I put clarity, clarity, clarity is critical. It's critical. We must have it. So what, is, what does he mean, wisdom of men? Look at this. Confusing terminology so often used in reference to salvation into eternal life. Y'all, I heard this. After I trusted Christ as my Savior, I got so mixed up by all this mud that was thrown into the gospel. Like, ask Jesus into your heart. Where is that in the Scripture? Show me where it says to ask Jesus into your heart. But how many times have I... How do you know you're going to heaven? I asked Jesus into my heart. What does that mean? I don't know. Don't Please don't use that. Ask for forgiveness. Do you know you're going to heaven? Yeah, I asked for forgiveness. I didn't ask for forgiveness to go to heaven. I got forgiveness. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren... Acts 13, 38 and 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And all that believe, all that believe, that's one thing, all that believe are justified, declared righteous, are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So you get forgiveness. Which is better? To ask for forgiveness. Y'all, I just met a lady. Tears pouring down her eyes up at Northside. We was having a birthday party, and they asked me to give the gospel, and I had several people trust Christ. The gospel works everywhere. Wherever there's people, it works. But this lady was crying. She said, I go to bed every night uh, asking God to forgive me for my sins. She's talking about so she can go to heaven. I said, well, stop doing that. I said, you can get forgiveness for all your sins in one bundle lump sum package the moment you believe in Christ. She said, really? I'm... So I showed her some verses. She said, yes, I will do that. I'll place my faith in Christ. Now she knows she's got forgiveness of sins. But people are going to bed every night because they hear that little phrase. Sounds biblical, but it's not biblical. Ask for forgiveness so you can go to heaven. That's Catholicism. 
Stop asking for forgiveness to have eternal life. Instead, believe in Christ and you'll get forgiveness. That's the better. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till you. Good is better and you better is best. Hey, why go for less when you can go for best? I don't want to be going to bed every night asking God to forgive me for my sins to go to heaven. No, I go to bed every night knowing I have forgiveness of my sins. All of them. The whole kit and caboodle. I got it because I trusted Christ. Here's another one. Turn from your sins. Wrongly using the word repent. Repent is so often defined as turn from your sins. That is not biblical. Always salvifically, repent comes from these two words. Metanoia or metanoeo. It means to change your mind. I used to think with my mind. I used to think that if I go to church and I read my Bible and I stop bad stuff and I start good stuff and I get water baptized and I put money in an offering plate, I used to think if I'd done enough of that good stuff, then it would pay for my sins. But what I found out is Jesus Christ died for my sins. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so what did I do? I changed from my, my mind from all those works that can't save me. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the one, only one who can, could, could, would, and did. I just repented. I rarely use the word repent. When I, 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 I don't know if I ever use it when talking to a lost person because it's so wrongly defined. It means a change of mind. I, I'd rather use the word believe unless the person rightly defines what repent means. Please don't use that. Repent, turn from your sins. Give your life to Jesus. I hear this a lot. How do you know you're saved? Because I gave my life to Jesus. Really? He said, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. So you gave that to Jesus? He says, there is none good, no, not one. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that what you're giving to Jesus? The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Who gave? He gave. In Timothy it says... That Jesus gave his life, gave his life a ransom for many. I'm going to heaven not because I gave my life to Jesus. Uh-uh. I'm going to heaven because Jesus gave his life for me. Please don't use that. Please don't use that. Here's another one. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. I want to ask y'all something. All right, be honest now. How many of you would say, as a believer that you've turned from all your sins and that Jesus is the Lord of every area of your life. Raise your hand. What I thought. I wished I could say that, but I'd be lying through my teeth. If saved people haven't mastered those things, then why are we telling lost people that aren't even connected to the power, the dunamis, the power of God? Please don't do that. Say this prayer. Like there's a sinner's prayer in the Bible? All right, where is it? Show me. Not in there. And then confession. People think they've got to confess their sins, confess all kinds of stuff. No, why not just believe in Christ? You'll be saved. Okay, I put that. I put right here, I won't go through all that, but if we could do all that to be saved into eternal life, then why do we need Jesus? He could have avoided the cross, right? If I could do all that then why do I need Jesus? I don't need him if I could save myself. But the problem is I can't save myself. So now if you were a devil on the loose, if you were a devil on the loose, and you wanted to get as many lost people 
into that eternal lake of fire as you possibly could, what would you do? What would be your conniving trickery? And you wanted to get as many saved people unclear so that they won't effectively tell lost people how to be saved. What would you do? Here's what you would do. The corruption of the gospel through counterfeits. You'd offer a counterfeit. In order to know a counterfeit, you've got to know the real thing. Like money changers, they know money. Like, they know it really, they know it so well. They know a $10 bill so well that it don't take them but a split second to detect a counterfeit. We need to know the gospel that way. Because if you know what the gospel is, you'll know what the gospel is not. Okay, so here's what the devil does. He offers counterfeits. Well, how is he going to offer a counterfeit? Y'all, I've seen two devious ways he does it. Number one, he jams works into the gospel. He either puts it on the front side, telling you you've got to go to church, live right, keep the Ten Commandments, get water baptized, pray every day, and then trust Christ. He'll, he'll jam that on the front side, or he'll jam it on the back side. You've got to trust Christ and do all these things, and if you don't do all these things, then you're not saved, or you weren't really saved. Jamming works into the gospel is how he does it. In another devious way that I've seen, I was given this little New Testament Bible. I've been given some Gideon Bibles, and I love the Gideons, but they've been given out some Bibles that are not... I love the old King James Bible because it's the closest to the original Hebrew and Greek. But they're changing the words in Scripture. They're ch- what a devious devil he is. Changing the words. that I, I know a guy who was reading his Bible... And he's, he's saying, but my Bible says this. He has no assurance that he's saved because he's basing it upon whether he practices or don't practice sin. It's horrible. How many sins does it take to practice sin? How many? All right. But here's another way that, that the devil works. He's devious. A message, he gives a message of works. He substitutes faith in man's work for faith in in the work of Christ on the cross. I am going to, work, uh, to heaven by a work, but it's not my work. It's the work that Jesus did on the cross. He said, it is finished. I'm going to, work to, I'm going to heaven by the work that he did, not by any work I've done. Galatians 2.16 says, knowing. Do you know this? Knowing. Are you certain of this? That a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's supposed to be a no. Shall no flesh be justified. So works cannot save a person into eternal life. They never have. They never will. God does not save anybody by the works that they do. And whatever works you do, no matter how many you do, the quantity, and no matter... The quality of them. It doesn't matter. God says they are dead. They're dead works. And it will not pay for your sin. Warning. Jamming works service into the gospel leads to the heresy and pitfall of salvation. There are two major pitfalls that I see among many other, but two major ones. The first one is lordship salvation. Don't pay attention to the strange fire, strange incense. I won't get into that tonight. But the lordship salvation. Here's my definition of it. I don't know what the theological definition of it. You can ask Dr. Arnold later. A A performance of absolute obedience to Christ through works to be saved or to be kept saved into eternal life. Y'all, that is running rampant in churches today. 
They think that Jesus has to be the Lord of every area of their life in order to be saved into eternal life. And we just proved that that's impossible. That's impossible. But lordship salvation, the next pitfall is Calvinism. Calvinism, running rampant through churches today. And it's heresy. I don't hate the Calvinists. I don't hate the lordship salvationist individual. I just hate their doctrine. It's heresy. So I call lordship salvation and Calvinism, I'm a country boy. That's what I call it right there. It's a bunch of hogwash. That's what it is. So anytime you add man's obedience or works to the gospel, it becomes a strange fire. If you wonder why I keep putting that in there, there's some gentlemen back in the Old Testament, Leviticus, uh, Nadab and Abihu, who offered strange fire to God. Because they were messing... Y'all to look at that. Y'all to just check it out. It's a good study. They offered strange fire to the Lord. They were messing around with the death sacrifice for sin. And that was under the Old Testament. This was animal sacrifices that could never take away sin. They could only cover sin. They could only make atonement, at one for the priest and for the sins of the people. For the sins of the priest and the sins of the people... Only temporarily. It, could only, it only appeased God. It wouldn't please God, these animal sacrifices. But God, you know what God did to Nadab and Abihu? He swallowed them up. The earth swallowed them up because they were playing around with the death sacrifice for sin. The price tag, the wages of sin is what? Death. What did Jesus do? He died. He is a much better sacrifice. Those old, those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were just stick figure illustrations. They were just patterns of a better sacrifice that would come. The, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God which would take away the sins of the world. So if God did... There was very heavy consequential consequences for Nadab and Abihu playing around with God's sacrifice for sin and it was animal sacrifices. If, he played, if, if that was a consequence, how much more will he, play, will he not play around with us today as believers who have the better sacrifice of Jesus Christ? You go tampering around with the gospel and you're in trouble with God. I've got to close. I had a lot more, but maybe another day. Go, I'll close with this. Galatians. Galatians. Don't tamper around with the gospel. You say, why are you so passionate about this? Because I meet people day in and day out, and I witness to them. I believe in following the Lord, and He'll make you to become a fisher of men. I believe that. And I see people... And it breaks my heart that they don't know how to go to heaven because they've been told all this junk. And once that mud gets on the walls of their mind, that mud is hard to get rid of. And only the power of the gospel can do it. But we need to be clear about it. Galatians chapter 1. God gives a double curse, a double curse to those who are not clear on the gospel. You don't want to be in this category of a double curse. He says, but though, this is first, uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, in other words, a heteros gospel, a gospel of a different kind, a gospel that's contrary to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. He says, 
But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that we have preached, let him be accursed. You notice it didn't say let the message be accursed, did it? It said let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any preach any other gospel unto you than that ye received, let him be accursed. I don't want to be in that category. I want to give a clear gospel message. Y'all, there's junk like this everywhere out there. This little New Testament Bible gives how to be saved in the front of it before you get to the scriptures. You'd be shocked. Y'all to just read it. If you got time afterwards, you'd be shocked. It makes my blood boil. It, makes me, it made me want to be a preacher. The shyest person in Georgia, and yet I wanted to be a preacher because I'm like, I, I can be one more clear voice. My voice matters. Y'all, you look, your voice matters. Your voice matters. God will use you if you'll keep the gospel clear. Shoot straight and fly right. Yankee told me that so many times when I went north. Hey, John, John, shoot straight and fly, fly right. Give the gospel clear. And give sound doctrine. I want to show you a little simple illustration. I taught this to Pastor Arnold years and years ago. If you believe that, hey, I raised my right hand. If you're here tonight, seriously though, if you're here tonight, whether you're in these four walls of this building or you're listening on the internet, friend, I really do want you to know how to go to heaven. You can be absolutely 100% rock solid certain that you're going to heaven. But there's only one way you can know it. I want you to pay attention to this and see if this makes sense to you. I'm going to let that hand represent you and me and everybody in the world. That's us. I'm going to let that phone right there represent sin. Us, sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You notice what I did with the sin? I put it on who? You and me. Have you ever done it wrong before? I have too. Everybody's done wrong. We've all sinned. We're all in the same boat. Now, God loves you and me. Even though we're sinners, God dearly loves you and me. He loves sinners. He loves you, friend. But he hates our sin, but he loves you and me. I'm going to let that hand represent God. God's a lot different than you and me, a lot different. He doesn't have any sin. He's holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. The problem is not with God. The problem is with, with me and you. And here's the problem. Your sin and my sin separates us from God. No matter how hard we try to get to God, we cannot get to God because there's a barrier that's separating us. And it gets even worse than that. We can't move that barrier ourselves. We're not big enough. We're not strong enough. And we ain't got stuff enough to move that barrier. We need a Savior. We desperately need a Savior. So there we are, separated from God. That's not good. That's bad. And since we've all sinned, we've got to pay a price tag for it. But there's one price tag for sin. It's death. Nothing but death. The wages or price tag for sin is death. That's the price tag. There is no other price tag. It's death. What does that mean? We'd have to be separated from God forever in that eternal lake of fire to pay that price tag. But God wants us to go to heaven. He doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to go to heaven. But to go to heaven, we have to be as perfect, as righteous as God. Most people think good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. So that's what I thought. But God doesn't let anybody in his heaven because they're good. You have to be perfect. God's perfect. Heaven's perfect. There's no sin in heaven. So it only makes sense that we have to be perfect to go there. But what's the problem? We're not perfect because we've got our sin. 
We're separated from God by our sin. We are death Christ had because of our sin. And we can't get in God's perfect heaven because of our sin. So what we need is to get our sin paid. But most people think that they pay it off with good deeds. If you've been told your whole life, you've got to be good to go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. So you've got to be good to go to heaven. Because if you're bad, you go to hell. So you've got to be good to go to heaven. What are you going to try to do a bunch of? A bunch of blank things. A bunch of good things. So most people think, well, if I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray and I give money and offer and play and do all these good things, it eventually pay off my sin and I'll eventually go to a pretty good heaven. But the only problem with that is none of that's the right price tag. Going to church is not death. Reading your Bible is not death. None of that. Changing your life is not death. It will not pay for your sin. The Bible says we're not saved by our works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Let this hand represent Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. He is. And this is what he did. Jesus came down from his perfect heaven. He had no sin. He did not have to die. He could have stayed up in heaven and let us get what we deserved at eternal lake of fire. But he came down. Had no sin. Didn't have to die. We had the sin. But Jesus took all your sin and all my sin off of us onto himself. The Bible says he bore our sin in his own body. And he, the payment for sin was death. So what did Jesus do? He he died. And when he died, all of our sins, yours and mine, friend, got paid all in one death payment made by that perfect lamb. When his body was broken and his blood was shed, he was buried and he rose from the dead. Now going to heaven is a free gift. He paid all my sins. So look, I don't have any left to pay. It's a gift. What a wonderful day that was for me when that light bulb come on and I understood that. Now he's in heaven. And he said, if you'll do one thing, one thing, one thing that anybody in the world can do, if you'll believe that Jesus died for your sins and paid for them on that cross, if you'll trust in him, the moment you believe in him, one time, upon one time believe, because he only died one time. He'll never die that horrible, agonizing, humiliating death again. You believe in him one time, you get the free gift of everlasting life. We were separated from him. We couldn't get to him no matter how hard we tried, no matter how many good deeds we did. It wouldn't move that barrier. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died and paid for your sins, upon that one time belief, now there's nothing, nothing, nothing that can keep you out of God's perfect heaven. You've got everlasting life. And if it's everlasting, you can never lose it. It's eternal. God wasn't confused about his definition of eternal. He must have been a country boy. It means forever. You can't lose it. For God so loved the world, you and me, sinners, that God gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, that whosoever, you, me, any sinner in the world, believeth in Him that He died for your sins. You won't perish. You won't ever go to hell in the future. But you'll have everlasting life, a home in heaven with God forever. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you make the most important decision of your whole life? Would you trust Jesus? Not anything else, because no one else, nothing else, died on that cruel cross of Calvary for your sins but Him. And He's offering to you a home in heaven, free, free, because He paid the price with His shed blood. Would you trust Him as your Savior? Make the most important choice, the most important decision of your entire life. You cannot go wrong by choosing to trust Jesus.
to save you into eternal life. If you've never done that before, you only have to do it one time, but if you've never done it before, in the quietness of your mind, I'm not going to ask you to walk anywhere, stop anything, start anything, join anything, turn from anything, confess anything, give anything, because God's not asking you to do that. He's asking you right now, will you do the one thing that you can do to be saved into eternal life? In the quietness of your mind right now, will you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? Friend, if you've just done that a moment ago, would you let me know? Would you just slip your hand up just really quickly in the building? Or That's good. Anybody? If you're listening over the Internet, would you trust Christ as your Savior? And just in the comment section there, just let us know. It would just, we would rejoice with you. That you trusted Christ as your Savior. Father in heaven, I gave it everything I had tonight. But only through your strength. I'm nothing without you. My sufficiency is of you. You're the vine. We're the branches. Without you, we can do nothing. God, please use this message tonight. Let your word hit its mark. And your spirit do his work. God, we need more clear voices. God, we need more believers. Who shed some tears. And who have sleepless nights, restless days, sleepless nights, thinking about people are going to be in that lake of fire forever. What can I do to be a difference maker? Can I be one more clear voice? Can I do just a little bit more to get that clear, crystal, dynamite message out so one more person can be saved into eternal life? Not because we saved them, because we don't have that power but because they put their faith in the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. In Christ's name I pray, amen.